is a joy to be here with you this evening. It's a little gray and gloomy, wet outside, but here tonight, we're here to rejoice, to celebrate. We get to take a minute to stop, to meditate, to think about an event 2,000 years ago, an event that changed the course of history, that changed our lives, um, something that just should bring about worship in our hearts, and that's why we're here tonight. And while we look back, um, the Old Testament writers look forward. And 700 years before the event, Isaiah prophesied, looking forward in hope of what is to come. And we're going to start our service uh, with this passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 53. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, and then if you would join along with me, starting in verse 4, and we could read aloud together as we rejoice, as we celebrate, and uh, yeah, as we worship. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Lord, this is why we are here tonight. Because of this work, because this prophecy was fulfilled, because of what Jesus did, because of how he was born, lived among us, lived the life that we could not live and then bore our sins on the cross. And so Lord, as we think about that event, as we think about the meaning of it, as we sing, as we dig into your word, as we hear your word read and preached, the Lord be working in us that we would respond rightly, that we would rejoice, that we would celebrate, we'd worship because of who you are and what you've done. In Jesus name. Amen. Good evening, church. Uh, please remain standing if you're able for the reading of God's word. I'll be reading from Matthew 27, starting in verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. 
So when they gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail the king of the Jews! And they spit on him, and took the reed, and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, and they put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put a charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, 
Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is called Elijah. And one of them once, at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again in a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split and the tombs were also opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tomb after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut into the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Church, we would remind you that this night that we remember, this night is the night that Christ, the Lamb of God, gave himself into the hands of those who would slay him. This is the night that the Son of Man was delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, who condemned him to death and who delivered him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. This is the night that the Christ, who was with his disciples in the upper room, this is the night that Christ clothed himself in a towel as a servant and washed his own disciples' feet, displaying that the Son of Man came to serve rather than to be served and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the night that the bridegroom gave his bride a new commandment, that they love one another. For by this, everyone will know that we are his disciples, if we love one another. This is the night that Christ our Lord gave his holy feast, that we who eat the bread and drink the cup may proclaim his holy sacrifice and be partakers in his resurrection. And at the last day, we may reign with him forever. This is the night we fix our eyes on the path of our Savior and his death. Church, let us adore the Lamb who was slain. Good evening, church. Let's open up our Bibles to Colossians 2. We'll begin in verse 13. Um, My my deal is about 15 minutes long. Um, Note to self, next Good Friday we'll we'll put our two-year-olds into Kegi class. but. Let's open our Bibles to Colossians 2, beginning in verse 13, and we'll look at some of the things that Christ has 
accomplished on this Good Friday. We read, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So Paul tells us here that Jesus has disarmed the rulers, that he put them to open shame, and that he triumphed over them. And so the question is, how did Jesus do this? How did he uh, disarm the rulers and authorities? How did he put them to open shame? How did he triumph over them? Because uh, Nathan just read the story of the crucifixion to us, the story of Christ's death. In this story, we see that Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was arrested. Jesus was beaten. He was tried before Pontius Pilate. He was given to death and he was killed. He hung naked on the cross. From the story we just read, we see that Jesus was put to shame. Jesus was disarmed. Jesus was being triumphed over by his enemies as they mocked him and spit at him. So, which one is it? Did Jesus triumph over his enemies, or did his enemies triumph over him? And the answer is yes to both of them. Um, Let's take a closer look at that. We know that Jesus had many enemies, uh, both physical, in, in the physical realm, and spiritual. He had spiritual enemies as well. And we have seen through our study of the Gospel of Luke uh, that the Pharisees, the priests, they hated Jesus. They despised him, and they rose up to seek to kill him. And in parallel with him, Jesus had spiritual enemies. Satan, the entire kingdom of darkness, through the priests, even he, he, he was working even through uh, Jesus' disciples, Judas, he was working hard to try to destroy and kill Jesus. And we've seen this even from the very birth of Christ. And whenever Paul says rulers and authorities, he doesn't just mean Pharisees, priests, and kings of this earth rulers of this earth. He also, as we see in Ephesians, Paul also defines rulers and authorities as spiritual forces and powers of evil. And these spiritual forces of evil, they were cast out of heaven. And they deceived humanity. They deceived Adam. And they have established their kingdom on earth. And they've established their kingdom in the hearts of of men. This is one of the consequences of sin. And now Jesus has come to earth and he has declared war against these powers. Jesus has come to destroy them and to free us from Satan's power and establish his 
kingdom. Naturally, Satan, he, he doesn't want to see this happen. Satan tries to kill Christ so that he can continue doing what he was doing, his tyrannical rule on earth. He wants things to be as they were. He doesn't want Jesus interfering with his power, with his kingdom. And so on Friday night, 2,000 years ago, we see all the rulers, both spiritual and physical, all have come together. We see Satan there. We see Rome through Pontius Pilate. We see Jewish political power through Herod. We see the Jewish religious powers through the Pharisees and the priests. We see even the entire city of Jerusalem was riled up against Jesus. They have come together to kill him. And they kill the Son of God, putting him to open shame, triumphing over him. They disarm him, or so they thought, because we know the victorious cries were very short-lived. They, Satan, and all the leaders, they think they're getting rid of Christ. They think they're destroying him once and for all, and things will get back to how they were. Yet God is at work, and he is using the death of his son as a sacrifice for our sin to redeem humanity from sin and from the tyranny of Satan. Satan thinks, let's get Jesus out of the way. Let's destroy him once and for all, and we'll continue having the power and hold over people, yet all the while he's actually losing his power over them because Christ is redeeming them. In 1 Corinthians 8, Paul says this, none of the rulers of this age understood this. This is what we just talked about. They didn't understand this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If Satan knew that the death of Christ would be the death of him and the end of his power and dominion over humanity, he would have never killed Jesus. None of the rulers of this age understood this. They had no idea this is what God was doing on this night, that he was redeeming humanity from sin. Paul says, for if they had, if they would have known that that was the plan of God, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. In Acts 4, we read the church praying. And their prayer, we see how well they understood this. In Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 24, they pray, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by your Holy Spirit. And so listen to what the Lord, the sovereign Lord said through David. Why did the Gentiles rage? And the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord 
and his anointed. And before we continue reading their prayer, I want to pause and, and look how the early church is quoting, this is Psalm chapter 2. And if we go to Psalm chapter 2, listen to how it continues. As they rage, as they set themselves against God and his chosen son, Jesus, as they are killing him, we read, he who sits in the heavens, he laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. The Lord mocks them. Why does God laugh? Let's continue reading the prayer in Acts 4.27. They continue the pr- praying, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. And here it is. Here's why the Lord laughs. They have gathered to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They raged. They plotted. They have gathered against Christ. They are killing Jesus, thinking that he will be gone once and for all. And they are doing exactly the plan that God had predestined to take place. And that plan is our redemption and their destruction. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So going back to the original question, who is shamed? Who is being triumphed over? See, Christ humbled himself. He was put to shame. Jesus disarmed himself. Like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. Yet through his humility, through his shame, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to shame by triumphing over them in him. This is amazing. This is amazing. So what does this mean for us? What does, this, what does Jesus' triumph over our enemies mean for us? And going back to Colossians 2.13, we read, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. We read here, there's two things in particular that were not going real well for us. First, we were dead in our trespasses. That's another way of saying we were dead in our sin. We were spiritually dead to God, towards the things of God. We hated the things of God. We were in our sin. And the second is that our sin was a record of debt that stood along it, against us. It, it's a, it was a long list of violations, of sins that we have committed. It was this massive debt that we could never pay, that 
had this legal demand against us, and the legal demand was our death. And one of the terrible consequences, one of the worst consequences of being dead in our sin is separation from God, which means, in turn, is bondage under the tyranny of Satan. It's the natural consequence. Separation from God means being in bondage to the tyranny of Satan. And on the, cry, and on the cross, Christ has paid that debt. He canceled the record of sin. He canceled this debt that stood against us and demanded our death. And with that, he also canceled the consequences of our sin. We who were separated from God are restored back to God. We are made alive with Christ, Paul says here. And the second thing is that we are no longer under Satan's rule. He has no power over us because Christ disarmed him. His tyranny over us has come to an end. It's over. He can't. He can't touch us. He's disarmed. Everything that he held against us, he will try. He'll try to guilt the the people of God. He'll try to trip, trip us up. But he is disarmed. He is powerless against the redeemed people of God. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. It's one of the greatest things that Christ has done on this Good Friday. Through his own shame and humility, he has put our enemies to shame and canceled our debt of sin that stood against us restored us to God, and freed us from the tyranny of Satan. Church, it's such amazing news. That is why we're here, to remember this Good Friday, to enjoy the work of of Christ. That's all we have to do, to enjoy the work of Christ, to rejoice and worship Christ. And that's what we're going to continue doing. Um, And before Uncle Craig leads us in communion, I would ask you to stand. And we will confess our need for Christ's work. You can find this on the screen. It's also in your bulletin. Um, I'm going to read the question. And if together out loud, we can uh, read the bold portion. Let's begin. Was he beaten? It was done so that by his wounds we are healed. Was he condemned, though innocent? It was done so that we might be clear, though guilty. Did he wear a crown of thorns? It was done so that we might wear the crown of glory. Was he stripped of his clothes? It was done so that we might be clothed in everlasting righteousness. Was he mocked and reviled? It was done so that we might be honored and blessed. Was he reckoned a criminal and counted among those who have done wrong? It was done so that we might be reckoned innocent and declared free from all sin. Was he declared unable to save himself? 
It was done so that he might be able to save others to the uttermost. Finally, did he die at last, and that the most painful and disgraceful death, it was done so that we might live forevermore and be exalted to the highest glory. Amen. Let's pray, church. Father, we thank you for the work that you have done through your son, Jesus. Father, we did not deserve this grace. We did not deserve this love, this overwhelming mercy of yours. We did not deserve this, Father. Yet you have lavished it on us, God. You have given it to us freely, Father. And today we are here to remember this, Lord, and to rejoice in this and to worship you, Father. We thank you for your work, God. We thank you. You are so awesome and glorious. Lord, and we thank you that you are that your son Jesus is no longer in open shame, but he is sitting gloriously on the throne at the right hand of the Father. We thank you for that, God. And you uh, that, that, that he is interceding on our behalf right now. We thank you for that, Lord. And Father, as we prepare for communion, prepare our hearts. God, may, may you make us worthy. May we realize our unworthiness, Lord, and confess our sin come to your table. Lord, we thank you for your work. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm looking for what scripture I was going to read tonight for this communion. I looked at the three gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they're almost word for word of the event. And Jesus is pointing to the cross, pointing to what he is going to do, that his body is going to be broken, and that he is going to shed his blood as a new covenant for us as believers. And um, so I couldn't choose one because they are all saying the same thing. So I'm going to do what we always do and read out of 1 Corinthians 11. Um, And this was something that was given to Paul for us as a church. Jesus gave it as pointing to the cross. Paul is also giving it to us as the church, pointing to the cross, pointing back to the cross. The cross is our only hope. And, you know, I've given my testimony, some of my testimony here, and you guys have heard it, and you can say, amen, that guy needed Jesus to die for his sins. The price that Jesus paid for my sins is the same price that he paid for your sins. Your sins are as dark and as ugly as any other sin and if if we hold on to that and we believe that we can love much it says he that forgiven much loves much and so i just would invite you during this season of of the cross that you would take hold of that that you outside of christ are a sinner he had to have his body broken and his blood shed to make you right before his Father God. The price he paid for you, same price he paid for me. He loves us that much. And so as in return, let's give our, all of our love to him. <laughs> 